0: Hey everyone, welcome to the first video sermon. It seems quite strange, it's really weird for me. It's only two weeks ago that we were gathering together and being limited to meetings of 500 or less and now here we are gathering most likely in our homes with our families. Uh, If you've missed some of the recent updates, we have suspended all of our ministries and our small groups are going online and I just want to continue to encourage you to engage Uh, with online small groups. I also wanted to let you know that there's a National Day of Prayer today across all sorts of denominations, and so I want to encourage you to set aside some time today to pray, to pray for the situation with the coronavirus. Um, If you're wondering what my group will look like today, we're going to be connecting up online. We're going to talk through the sermon, which will be weird for them, because I'll be there. We're going to pray together and talk about how our weeks have been. And I'd I'd be encouraging you as best as you can to be doing the same. Uh, Today we're going to continue our series on salvation. We've been looking at how God saves his people and that all of our salvation is by grace. So far we've looked at God's gracious choosing of people, his bringing dead people to life, the fact that God declares sinners righteous, that he rescues us, redeems us out of slavery to sin. And today we're going to be looking at reconciliation, that God brings peace to his enemies. Um, forgive the weirdness of me preaching to my phone in my office. I hope to get better at this. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I hope you've already read 2 Corinthians 5 and also a look at Matthew 18. If you haven't read them, pause now. Go read the Bible together in your families or by yourself, wherever you are, and then we'll come back to the sermon. So pause and read. All right, I'm going to pray. Ask for God's help in this weirdness and help us to make sense of his word. Let's pray. Lord, please speak to us through your word wherever we are and help us to not neglect one another and meeting together around your word today and in the weeks ahead. Helps to understand how good it is that you reconcile us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are loads of ways that we as humans can feel pain, but I think one of the worst ways, one of the worst pains you can experience in life is the pain of relational breakdown. You know, that feeling of going to bed without resolving an argument or the silent treatment or or worse, the end of a relationship. Psychologists say that when a marriage breaks up, when there's a divorce of a married couple, it can have the same kind of psychological impact of that as a death, except in some ways it's worse because the person is still there and the relationship that you long for you can't have. Relational storms are often the hardest to weather. But relational peace is so good. In in the Bible, peace is not just the absence of conflict or the absence of war, but there's this Hebrew idea of shalom, rhythm, where the world and relationships are working as they should. And yet, while we get glimpses of it, in the relationships we enjoy, in the beauty of creation, in double-coated Tim Tams that are sitting on my desk, it never fully comes. It's clear that our world does not have shalom in its fullness. And it's not simply because of the situation we find ourselves in with the coronavirus, but because as much as we chase that peace, as much as we get glimpses of it, we never get it in fullness. And at the heart of the problem, the Bible says, is a relational breakdown. It's a relational breakdown between us and each other, but, but primarily between us and the God who made us. And so today I I want to talk through reconciliation, this idea that God makes peace with his enemies. We're going to look at two passages in particular, so Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, and 2 Corinthians 5. And here's what I want us to think through today. Firstly, why do we need peace with God? Secondly, how do we receive peace with God? And lastly, how does peace with God change everything? But before we start with why we need peace, let's just do a little bit of brief context. So in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus has just given instructions to his disciples as to what to do when someone in their new community sins against someone else. And one of the disciples asks, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? And so he gives the the parable in that context to teach his disciples that we should forgive Again and again and again. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is in the middle of a defense of his ministry. It seems that in the Corinthian church, there were dodgy teachers who came into the church and looked super spiritual. They were all about appearance and being impressive and speaking with fancy words that would make everyone think, oh, wow, how clever are they? And it made the Corinthians question the validity of Paul's ministry. Now, this is vital to remember, because as we look at a few aspects of the passage from Corinthians and Matthew, we need to be careful to not take the passages out of their original context. This week on Facebook, I've seen a whole lot of things posted by a whole lot of people. One of the worst has been people posting Psalm 91. It's a great psalm. But it says that God will protect his people from pestilence. And Christians have been using it to say, if you're a Christian, you won't get coronavirus because God will protect his people from pestilence. The problem is that it's taking the psalm completely out of context. And as we read the Bible, it's really important that we read the Bible in context. It's especially important in 2 Corinthians 5 because it has so many verses that could end up on coffee mugs. They're great but we have to read them as part of the whole broader argument and we have to read them understanding what's going on in the rest of the passage. What we're actually doing is called systematic theology. We're looking at what does the whole Bible say about a particular topic? And, and for us today, we're thinking through what are, what are two passages in light of the whole Bible, what do they say about reconciliation and about peace with God? So let's start with why we need peace with God. And the answer of the Bible is really very simple. We need peace with God because by nature we are, we are his enemies and by nature we can't fix the fact that we're his enemies. In our country, I'd say that there are very few people who would say that they hate God or that they despise him. I think the prevailing attitude is one of apathy. We just we ignore God. And we ignore his law. We serve other things as gods. And for most Aussies, religion is like choosing what you're going to have for dinner. It's a morally neutral thing. You just choose what you like. But for God, the Bible says that our rejection of him, even our apathy of him and ignorance of him is high treason. It says that we're lawbreakers, that we've created our own little rebel kingdoms and despised him. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that we're all guilty of trespassing the law, that God forgives our trespassing of the law, which means we've all wronged him. In Romans 5, it says that we are enemies of God by nature. But I I really want to start with Matthew 18. So if you've got a Bible, please open up to Matthew 18. We've got a servant with a huge debt. And the king is reconciling his accounts. He calls his servants in who owe him money. And this guy owes 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the largest weight of money in Jesus' day. It was about 35 kilos. And 10,000 was the biggest number in Greek language. And so what's the passage saying? He's saying that this guy owes an unpayable debt. I don't know what the modern equivalent would be, in terms of inflation, but we're talking someone on average wage owing billions of dollars. And in the parable, he begs the king for patience. He, he promises to pay. He actually denies reality. There's no way this guy can pay the debt back. Sometimes in relationships we do really wrong things. We wrong others and we try and undo it and we try and fix it. We try and make up for it. And here's the problem. Relationships really don't work like that. You see, the Bible says that every person by nature is not simply out of sync with God, but a rebel, an enemy. We've wronged him so significantly, so profoundly, that our debt before him is unpayable. We, We can't fix it. We can't be so good that it undoes the bad. We can't bargain with God. We can't offer him something that will fix the problem of our sin. We can't talk our way out. I've only ever really been in one fight in my life, and it was a voluntary fight. Steve, who's probably watching this, you'll remember, uh, I think it was his 18th birthday, he had a boxing party. And for some reason, I agreed to box against this guy, Mark, who is possibly the most coordinated and fit bloke that I've ever met. And so it went as you would expect. Uh, he punched me in the jaw really hard. I went down. Uh, I didn't lose consciousness, but I did I did lose my memory. And I started talking rubbish, so much so that I refused to believe anyone that I'd fought Mark. Like, Steve got me on film. I hope you still don't have it, saying to people, I heard that I boxed Mark, but why would I box Mark? He's, he's huge. I... The day ended with a bad headache and a nurse in Campbelltown Hospital telling me that I was soft. If I, if I can't beat Mark in a fight, not that he was my enemy, but let's imagine he was. If I can't beat him in a fight, if I stand before him in conflict, as if we're enemies and I can't win that fight, how will it go when I stand before God as his enemy? See, the Bible says we need peace. We need peace with God. We need reconciliation. We need our relationship to God restored. And we can't do it ourselves. So that's the first question. The second one is how do we receive it? Now, notice I said receive, not earn. Well, let, let's start with Matthew 18. The master has compassion and he forgives the debt of the servant. Last week we looked at redemption, the idea that God buys his people out of slavery forgiveness is actually in some ways an accounting term to forgive the debt is to wipe the debt clean and i want you to notice in matthew 18 the debt doesn't cease to exist it ceases to exist for the servant but for the master the debt is now his he he pays he loses <laughs> Which means if there is to be reconciliation between us and God, God is going to have to pay the debt for us. He's going to have to pay the cost that we can't pay ourselves. And the question is, how does he pay? Now, we'll find the answer in in 2 Corinthians 5. I mean, very quickly in terms of context, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church that his ministry is founded on the fear of God. That's in verse 11 that he's seeking to persuade others to be reconciled to God and it's the love of Christ that is compelling him. Now if you look at verse 17, we're going to pick up from there. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This is a picture of regeneration that God takes dead people and makes them alive. It's a a work of grace, this idea of being in Christ, it's the idea of being joined to Christ by faith in him. And in verse 18, I want you to see that this is a picture of grace. Have a look. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciles us to himself through Christ. Now that first us that he's talking about, Paul is talking primarily in this passage about himself but he's also talking about other Christians. And in verse 19 he restates it. Have a look with me. It says that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. So the question how is it possible how can God forgive the dead how can he not count our trespasses against us how does Jesus do this the answer to the questions found in verse 21 let me have a look for our sake he made him that's jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god uh, martin luther called this the great exchange it's the idea that the the one who knew no sin jesus who was always perfect always righteous on the cross becomes sin he becomes a sin offering he, he dies as a substitute in our place And not only does Christ take our sin upon himself, pay our unpayable debt, but he also gifts to us his righteousness. On the cross, Jesus is treated as an enemy, so that we who are by nature and choice enemies of God might be treated as righteous, as innocent. Jesus pays the debt that we could never pay. And Why does he do it? Why does God pay our debt. In Matthew's gospel, we're told the master has pity or compassion. In Romans 5, it says it's because of love. If you want to flick over to Romans 5, please feel free. I'm just going to read from verse 8 to 11. It says that God shows his love for us. In the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved By him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The God of the Bible is like no other, he loves his enemies at great cost. And so peace with God, it comes from God. It's offered as a gift. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. You can't pay it back. You're called to just ask for mercy, to admit your debt, to admit that you can't pay, to trust Jesus' death as the means by which you can have peace with God. If, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, then like Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to implore you to be reconciled to God. You can be. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, One day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. We'll stand before him as either friends to be welcomed, to be reconciled with our debt forgiven, or we'll stand as enemies and pay our debt ourselves. In Matthew 18, the servant who has his debt forgiven, he he, he clearly doesn't appreciate it. He walks out and finds someone who owes him a small amount of money and he demands that they repay them immediately. And the master says to that servant, you're going to jail and you're not coming out until you've paid your debt. It's a picture of eternal separation from God. If you're not a Christian, I, I want to encourage you to make today the day you ask for mercy and forgiveness. To all who do, God promises forgiveness. Forgiveness. And reconciliation, he he promises to give peace. So we've seen our need for peace. We've seen how we receive it. We receive peace from God by asking for forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross. I want to finish with how does peace with God change everything? And I, I want to race through five things really quickly, and I want to encourage you to discuss them in your groups. Here's the first thing. Peace with God means relationship with God. The Christian faith, it has rules and teachings, even philosophy. But first and foremost, the Christian faith is a relationship with your maker. When our rebellion is forgiven, we're reconciled to God. The relationship is restored. We're no longer estranged. On the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I would never be forsaken by God so that we would be in relationship with him forever. Christians, are you relating to him? Are you listening to him in his word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you working on the relationship? Because all relationships take work. This season, where so many of us have less to do, is a great opportunity to work on the relationship, to press into relationship with God, to enjoy the fact that he has reconciled you to himself. And so let let the love of Christ compel you to make him your delight and enjoy relationship with him. So peace with God means relationship with God is the second thing. Peace with God changes our relationship to suffering. Uh, We're approaching a season where many of us could get sick. And for some of us, and for those we know and love, they are sick And the beautiful thing about reconciliation is if you're reconciled to God, if you have peace with God through faith in Jesus, then you can know that no matter what happens, God is not against you. He's not punishing you. Christ has already, by his blood on the cross, brought peace between us and between God. Next week we're going to look at how God is a loving father. He adopts us into his family. And so peace with God changes the way we view suffering. We know he's not against us. His reasons are good and it's a reminder to trust him. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing. Peace with God changes our relationship to others. In Matthew 18, the servant goes out who's being forgiven an unpayable debt and he refuses to forgive a payable debt. And Jesus says he's excluded because of it. The point is... When a person understands how much their debt has been forgiven by God, they'll realise that we've actually sinned against God more than anyone will ever sin against us. And what that's meant to do in our hearts and lives is make us forgiving people. And so I, I wonder, are you holding on to sin? That people have sinned against you and you're holding on to bitterness. Are you withholding forgiveness? See, forgiveness is always painful. If you wait for the time when forgiveness is easy, it'll never come because forgiveness always costs the one who forgives. Forgiveness is when we say to someone, I will bear the wrong that you have committed against me and I will not seek to pay it back. That's that's what God has done for us. I think God wants us to be melted by his forgiveness, to realise how big our debt is. So that as others wrong us, even in profoundly evil ways, we will remember that our debt is greater and we'll forgive. And so peace with God enables us to forgive. It changes our relationship to others. That's the third thing. Here's the fourth thing. Peace with God changes our relationship to church. In Ephesians 2, it says that because we have peace with God, that is a a vertical peace, we now have peace with one another despite our remarkable differences. We're bound together in Christ. There's a danger in this season that as you watch this on video and we stay home and connect via screens that we'll think relationship with God is not connected to relationship with each other. If you have peace with God, that means you've been brought into the life of a community of God's people and you're called to live in relationship with one another. I want to encourage us in this season to be more committed to the church, to be more committed to care for and love one another, more committed to praying for one another and serving one another, more committed to embracing our unity in Christ despite all our differences because peace with God means that we now have peace with one another. So peace with God, it it reminds us that we now have relationship with God. It means relationship with God. It changes our relationship to suffering. It changes our relationship to others and our relationship to the church. Here's the last one. Peace with God changes our relationship to the world. In verse 18, Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And I think that us is primarily Paul and the disciples, but it's also true that the us is all Christians. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. And then he says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Paul's defending his ministry. That us is most likely Paul and his associates and the ministry that they're doing. He's defending what they're doing. But it would be a mistake for us to therefore conclude that we don't have the ministry of reconciliation. You see, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's meant to be a model for us. That is, any person who has received God's ministry of reconciliation, Christ's death on the cross, should become a minister of reconciliation themselves. The, the deepest need in our world right now is not a vaccine. The vaccine, a vaccine, would be great, it's important, it'd save lives, and that matters. But the deepest need in our world right now is peace with God. If you recognise your rebellion and God's work to reconcile you to himself at great costs it cost him an infinite amount, he paid an unpayable debt for us, then you, like Paul, will want to persuade others. You, like Paul, will want to take the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel, and share it with the world, a world that is afraid, a world that's afraid of death, a world that's realising how frail we actually are, how fleeting life is, how quickly things can fall apart, how much the money of our world that we think gives us security actually doesn't. Could it be that God in this season is pointing out to the world our mortality and our frailty? Could it be that God is providing the church with an opportunity to speak the message of reconciliation, the words of the gospel, Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins, for for the offer of eternal life and peace with God, relationship with God forever. Could it be that God is at work now through us? We're called to love our world in practical ways. But God has loved us by meeting our deepest need at greatest cost. And he calls us, likewise, to go out into the world with a message of reconciliation, to share it however we can. The gospel shines brightest in the darkness. And so let's speak words of reconciliation to the world. So why do we need peace with God? Because naturally we're enemies and rebels and we can't pay the debt ourselves. How do we receive peace with God? Well, Christ dies as an enemy so that we, naturally enemies, might have our our debt, our trespasses, our law-breaking and rebellion forgiven. Christ becomes our sin and gives us his righteousness. And how does peace with God change everything? It changes our relationship with God because Christian faith is relationship with God. It changes our our relationship to suffering, to others, to the church, and ultimately to the world. Ah, I miss you all and I want to encourage you to please meet. Please talk through the questions that are on the webpage, hopefully below this video. And I want to encourage you to encourage one another and to pray with one another, to revel in your peace with God. Next week we'll be looking at how God makes us his children. So God bless you all. Please enjoy fellowship with one another. And I hope to see your faces soon.